My name is Scott Chaloner and you are listening to the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. As regular listeners of our programme will know very well, part of our mission here at the Leaders' Council is to bring you a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. And to this end, I'm delighted to welcome Matthew Phelan onto today's show. Uh, Matt is a TED speaker and co-founder and co-CEO of the Happiness Index, an employee engagement and happiness monitoring platform. Uh, Matt, very warm welcome to you today and thanks for joining us on the show. Uh, Delighted to be here, Scott. And delight for me to, as well to welcome you onto the uh, the program as well, Matt. And uh, I think I think it's fair to say that I've just given a very kind of concise overview as to what it is that the Happiness Index specialises in. But perhaps you could just sort of expand upon that for those listeners that might not be familiar with you. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. So it's often a hard question to not overcomplicate uh, overcomplicate what the Happiness Index does, but. Mm. If you're a company of, say, 20 people, Scott, you, you generally know each other, you know each other's names. It's, it, it's relatively easy to keep up on how everyone's feeling. Um, once an organization gets above about 100 employees, it can be difficult for the leadership team, the CEO, the HR professionals to understand across the whole workforce how people are feeling. And there's a whole body of research that shows happier employees are more productive, they sell more they're more creative and they create better financial outcomes. I, I think there's about 204, I was checking this morning, there's about 240,000 studies into that area now. So understanding how your people feel, not to make, not to make them happy, but to create the conditions so they can be happy because happiness is, is, is a personal thing to all of us. You can't go out there telling people to happy, be happy, but you can create the conditions to allow, uh, give your employees a, a better chance of being happy and then have all those nice things that lead to better business performance. Fantastic. And I'd be interested to understand a little bit more as to how you kind of moved into sort of that side of industry because um, you co-founded your first business uh, back in sort of 2008, didn't you? And that was specialised in digital marketing. So would you say you made that transition over to sort of an employee engagement business, maybe out of personal experience? A couple of reasons. One, um, I was working at digital marketing business really is looking at customer data mm. and I was looking at started to look at customers prospects like from a marketing perspective how do you make your customers happy and how do you attract new customers is the two things you're thinking about and the more I looked at that data the more I started realizing the data was is it almost like if you're tracking a, a river back to its source I kept finding more and more data in, in my, when I have a marketing hat on, tracing it back to employees. And the obvious, the obvious scenario that anyone can imagine would be a cafe. If you go into a cafe and the, the, the person serving you is having a really tough time, their service levels, no matter how good they are and trained at their job, is, is going to drop. Like, as a human being, we're great at reading body language and so on. So if someone... It's being told when they when they um, serve you a cup of coffee, if they serve it badly, they're going to get fired. The service is, is not going to be great. So that's just that industry. But the more I look at the data, there's actually a 28-year study that shows that um, it, it, it is the same in every industry. So the cafe is the obvious one. But whatever industry you're working in, the, the, the flow-through works. And then as we scaled our own business, I was in my 20s, and I know this is a leadership podcast, but running a business in your 20s, you have no idea what you're doing is incredibly hard. Um, 
So it was natural for me as a data person to want more data on what my problem was. And my problem was my people were unhappy as I was scaling. Um, so I just wanted more information to help me do my job. That meant we built a piece of technology that other customers, um, other marketing people who were buying our marketing services asked us for. Um, but I'm, I'm a big fan of focus. So we carried on with that business and sold it and then redeployed all of the money, um, or a lot of the money into the, the into the happiness index and building that into a global business, which is, it led me to where I am today. Yeah, certainly quite the uh, the transition and sort of um, quite the natural transition. I think it's fair to uh, fair to say as well. And uh, I think you realise, don't you, that um, the customer experience is very closely tied to the employee experience, isn't it? When it comes to industry, I, th- I think I think it's fair to say that that is uh, that is very true. And uh, what you also mentioned as well is that um, your employees were sort of um, unhappy as sort of you were scaling, but as you were kind of like sort of bogged down in the hard work of that side of things yourself, would you say as a leader, your own kind of well-being might have suffered during that time? And therefore, as well as sort of safeguarding the well-being of your employees, it is also important to kind of, you know, take that step back as and when you need to, when you're at the top and almost lead by example on well-being. I think we didn't really understand it at the time, Mm. but the big thing that changed for my co-founder and myself was when we had children. So there's advantages and disadvantages of starting a business in your 20s, but one advantage um, is that you have lots of energy. So I was able to cope with it all until kids came along. And then I became a father and I, I, I did not know how I was going to do everything. I didn't know how I was going to be a good dad. I didn't know how I was going to be a good founder and, and all the other stuff that's also important, like your friends and everything. And that's, that led me to the realization that of what you just said, Scott, I had to change my lifestyle. I had to change the way that I work. So to give you two examples that I know now, like on the other side that I know is important for my mental health. I now know that like, I need to do some kind of physical activity once a day, like a bike ride or a run. I didn't used to do it back then because I used to see it as I didn't have time for it. Now I see it as a really important investment. So where I've gone to do this call with you, Scott, I cycled here just because I knew in the past I would have thought that it's only a 15-minute cycle to where I've come. In the past I would have thought I don't have that 15 minutes. Now I think that 15 minutes is a good investment uh, of my time to mean that when I meet with Scott, I'm in a good shape to answer his questions. And I look at that as a board meeting now as well. In the past, on a day of a board meeting, I would have thought, I don't have time to do some exercise today. Now I think, if I do some exercise in the morning, I'm I'm a better person, I'm a better leader, I'm a better CEO in the board meeting. And the other big fundamental change is that I'm, I'm now completely sober. So I used to, when I was stressed, I used to drink to relax. And I think there's this world where you've got like non-drinkers and you've got alcoholics, whereas there's a lot of people in the middle that I would call that were like me, that were social drinkers that drank to relax. Mm. And the more I researched about alcohol, the more I realized it's a temporary fix. And what I found is that if I was stressed about stuff at work, I would have a drink in the evening. And what I found is that worked incredibly well because um, alcohol switches your brain off in many ways. The problem is all those problems came back to me at three or four in the morning, all all the stress. And what that led to is a lack of sleep. Um, And then that made me feel anxious the next day. Mm. So 
you, you don't want your leaders to, to be feeling anxious when they're, when they're making good decisions. So in long story short, children were, were the best and worst thing that happened. It was the worst thing at first because it, I found it hard to balance everything, but it was the best thing because it made me realize that things had to change in my life. And just I'm just picking out a couple of examples, but I'm now, I'm now prioritizing my well-being, whereas most people in their 20s, I mean, it's nice about people in their twenties because I'm talking about myself. Really, you kind of think you're invincible, um, but you're not. <laughs> We're all the same, um, and everyone's on their own journey. The, the new generation, some of them get it in their teenagers now. I listen to to those kids, and I'm like, wow. I was, uh, have you watched um, Scott? Have you watched the Louis Theroux um, Stormzy uh, interview? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I've certainly come across that, and um, I can I can certainly see where you're coming from from that perspective. Definitely. Yeah. Well, he's 28 and he is talking about diet um, and food and well-being like in a way that I didn't even understand. Mm. But, but go and check it out. I think it's only been out over the last week. But if you're listening and you want to see how the new generation think about people in their 20s, think about stuff like diet and well-being um, and also social media and its negative impacts, check out Stormzy's interview um, with Louis Theroux. Yeah, and I do think as well that, um, and I would, of course, encourage all listeners to go and check that out, by the way. It's a fantastic interview. Um, I, d- I do think that it's indicative as well of how awareness around sort of mental health and well-being has been amplified since uh, since COVID as well. We seem to be yeah. far more open about talking about it within the uh, the workplace and admitting when something maybe isn't quite right. And I suppose as leaders, we're better at kind of picking up on the uh, the cues there. Um, with regards to the happiness index, have you seen maybe more people sort of coming to you since the aftermath of the pandemic and maybe seen that reflected in your work? The biggest change... Scott, is traditionally HR directors came to us. Mm. I'm now seeing and talking to more CEOs. And my theory and belief from speaking to many of these CEOs and why that is, is that many CEOs had a a rise to the CEO role where not that much in their life went wrong. Mm. So I'm just generally talking, there's lots of CEOs that have been through real tough times and so on. But the thing about the pandemic is I haven't met another CEO who didn't struggle. If I get them to speak privately with me and we actually get some time where there, there's no one else there and we chat. So I don't know, maybe I, I've met a hundred CEOs over the last couple of years. If I look at my client base and every single one of them has struggled. So that's a, it's not a massive database, but it's a substantial amount of people that I've spoken to. That, so they've all struggled. What has changed in my mind is that in the past, lots of CEOs that I've spoken to hadn't struggled as much as, for example, their employees. And the reason I think it's changed is because we've all had an event where we all struggled. And I, I don't know someone who didn't. And, it, and maybe um, there's, there's people listening now who didn't. And, um, and I'd love to hear you on Scott's next episode and, and talk us through how you did that, because that's amazing if you have. But the majority of people I spoke to did struggle. Um, and what I think it's done is created a greater empathy for others and if you're a CEO, for your employees. So I think in the past, happiness was seen as like the fluffy bit, the soft bit. Now, I think CEOs, because they've been through a tough time themselves, they think, right, actually, when I was going through a tough time, I wasn't as good as at my, at my job. Maybe if my employees are going through tough times in the future, right, crazy stuff going on at the moment all around the world maybe if we worked and nurtured the environment 
so that they have all the conditions to be happy at work, maybe they'll perform better. Um, so I think there's become a greater empathy and understanding um, of of happiness, well-being, mental health in the workplace. And if, if there's going to be some good stuff that came out of, of the pandemic, I would say that's certainly one in the world of work, Scott. And I guess from sort of the leadership perspective, if you are a CEO or a director, showing that you sort of have that in mind is becoming critical by way of retention, isn't it? Because we've seen um, a lot of noise and heard a lot of noise rather, haven't we, since the pandemic about the great resignation and the rise in quiet quitting. And I suppose if you as a business aren't sort of checking in on your workforce and showing quite clearly that you're prioritising mental health and well-being, with people sort of having taken that message away from the pandemic, they're more inclined to simply go and leave and go and work for a business, you know, where they feel like they will be valued and they feel like they'll be looked after. And so it's almost becoming a key risk management strategy because in a difficult recruitment environment retention is so so important right now yeah and this sounds like um we're showing off or, or trying to like show our skills or, or whatever what i'm about to say but the happiness index we're talking about the great resignation six months before it even had a name mm. um and it's not because we're profits or we knew what the future was but we were looking at graphs that showed employee happiness for at least 12 months had been drastically low. So even if you're not a data science scientist and I brought you into the happiness index and I showed you our data, most people would look at that data and go, wow, there's going to be a lot of people that leave their jobs. And people weren't leaving their jobs because they were just scared. Like we were all locked down. We were scared. But you could see in the data where Companies had treated their employees well throughout. You could see that was going to create some loyalty. But you could clearly see in the data where employees weren't treated very well. You just thought, I just looked at it and we looked at it and everyone who looked at it just thought, the minute these people get out of lockdown, they're going to resign. And so that's not to say, oh, we're profits. It's just because we have the data on it. And that's what I encourage all companies to do, which is emotions a lot of our most sophisticated clients actually put their happiness data in their board report now, which some people listening think, oh, it's probably just some like small companies that are doing that or whatever. Sodexo, uh, 17th biggest employer in the world, they have over 400,000 employees. They track happiness in their board report. You can Google it, you can go and look at it. And then you get um, one of the fastest growing retailers in the UK, Vivo Barefoot. They report happiness in their reports and it's there. So, Companies are now understanding that emotions are um, indicators of future performance, which is a huge change in how people look at a PL. Because a PL, Scott, basically, as you know, looks at the past. <laughs> That's the reality of most PLs. They look at the past, which is great. Mm. If you're trying to run a board meeting and plan for the future, understanding how your employees feel, which companies all around the world gay are, people are our most important asset. I would say if your people are your most important asset, prove it. Prove it. Absolutely right. And uh, something that's sort of struck me immediately when you sort of said that you, know, you looked at data over the years and you've seen that sort of employee happiness was sort of on a downward spiral. Um it sort of takes you back to sort of the data that we've seen around the same sort of time on UK productivity as well. We've seen that we work some of the longest hours compared to some of our European counterparts um, yeah. within a week. Um, and productivity is in the doldrums supposedly so i suppose yeah. productivity is also tied to happiness isn't it and the more you're the better your well-being the more productive you're going to be absolutely and and that's what i'll give that example of myself i know i've done 
15 minutes exercise in a day, the whatever hours I put in are better hours. Like by, I don't, I've never analyzed it myself. So that's just me, but it's going to be for your employees. There are other elements of the productivity uh, debate. Uh, and I think there's a whole control, command and control issue here as well, which is I'm just, because most of my team are distributed around the world. It, even if I want to micromanage them, I couldn't because I don't know where they are, what, what hours they are or what city they're in at any given time. So that just makes it outcome based. I really don't care if one of my team takes how long they take to do a task. I really care about the outcome. So if, you, if you're just looking at like hours people spent on a job, you're going to end up with a, a not very productive workforce because you're going to end up with behavior like stringing it out. For me, I want to find I want people that can work out how to do that task quicker, more efficiently, better, rather than you end up if you tell everyone to work ten hours, you just get end up you just get task creep. Um, what you really want is someone to go, you know, that ten hours I managed to do that in forty five minutes. Mm-hmm. Now, what else can we do with that time? How 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 can we use what human beings are best at and will never be replaced by robots by, which is our our creativity and empathy for other human beings. Yeah, that's very right. And I think um, when you, you talk about robots, I think automation is something which um, maybe we are a little bit averse to and we're a little bit scared of. But I guess that's something that ultimately is going to make the employee experience better, or at least that's the idea. Because when we think about AI, it's not this big, scary technology that's going to come in, take over everything and take over our jobs. It's there to sort of make the decision making easier for, for human beings, isn't it? So if the, if the employee experience is enhanced by its presence, then that's only going to benefit the end user the customer as well and so if there's happiness on both sides i suppose uh, we're on to a win there absolutely and uh, let's get let's i'll give you an example that scott so i remember going to um dublin and that, that i think it was dublin or cork many years ago mm. and i remember seeing a, a a pub where you could basically get your table and in the middle was a pump and you put your credit card in and you could pull your pull your own beers I remember thinking, this is like years ago, I'm thinking, wow, that's going to be the future of the pubs. You're not even going to need any anyone to serve pints. Um, and, and, our, and and just to say for non-drinkers, this was Guinness, and now you can get non-alcoholic Guinness, and it's as good as the Guinness, just to give that shout out there. But guess what, Scott? It hasn't replaced. It hasn't replaced because people still want to walk into a pub and be served by another human being. So technology can make that efficient. We can easily take, if we needed to now, we could take all the staff out of pubs and make them more efficient. But that isn't why you go into a pub. You don't just go there to get the liquid thing to get you drunk. You go there for so many other reasons linked to happiness around um, the social aspect, seeing other people, the community aspect. So as I always say, as a non-drinker, I'm pro-pub. Pubs bring so much to society and that's where we want technology to make more things efficient, like getting the alcohol and everything there in a better condition so it's a better quality. But you're never going to replace that person serving your coffee, serving your food, serving your, serving your pint because as human beings, that's important to us. It is exactly, and I suppose the key thing as well is if you're not particularly brilliant at pouring your own pints, I mean, the quality of it's probably not going to be as good as if another person poured it for you. So there's always going to be the need for that in that sense as well. Absolutely. You only need to look at my DIY projects around my house to, to, to prove that point, Scott. 
Yeah, absolutely right. And um, obviously, I've not seen your, your your DIY products, but I know for a fact that I'm useless at it. So I can only imagine, obviously, just uh, just how difficult you find uh, things as well. Because, like I say, we we're not we're not all blessed with uh, with those skills, are we? And I've got to say, um, just thinking about sort of um, the kind of you know the hallmarks of uh, well being that we've talked about and what leaders ought to be doing. I mean, we hear a lot about sort of toxic leadership culture, don't we? Where there is a lot of quiet quitting and maybe well being is in the doldrums. So if we think about sort of the the opposite of that and what a good company culture should look like with well-being at its heart what are some of the key things you feel that sort of leaders should be doing to show that you know we are prioritizing well-being here and we want our employees to be happy well let's um let's just look at the data let's look at globally when you control for local differences what are the top drivers happiness um so psychological safety if you're a toxic leader you're not offering psychological safety which means you, where people doing all those little tricks like um, saying you can work from home and you're free, but then texting them all the time or asking them to, to prove every second where they are. Mm-hmm. I guess an example of a, a toxic leader who says, oh, yeah, everyone can work from home and blah, blah, blah. But then they're checking up on them every two seconds. So it inevitably the employee doesn't feel safe. And as soon as you don't have psychological safety, you go into um, fight or flight mode. Once someone's in fight or flight mode, they're shutting down the core things that differentiate us from other mammals, which is our ability to be creative, because you're shutting down that frontal cortex so that your brain can focus on running away or fighting whatever the threat is. And when you're toxic, that's what you're doing to your employees. You So you see so many traditional leaders who feel their role is to put pressure, put the pressure on the sales team and not getting the results. If we put the pressure on them, it's the complete wrong way round. It's around, have we given them the tools? Have we given them the leadership? Have we given them the vision, the clarity to achieve? So psychological safety um, is one of the top four factors. The, the number one driver in all countries that we work in is positive relationships. So as a team, we've got a high, let's say we've, we've moved to a hybrid now. Let's say we've got some people working from home, some people working from the office. How are we bringing people together to foster those positive relationships? How are we driving what um, quantum physicists would call uh, energetic connections, but we know are incredibly important in, in the workforce? So they're just a couple there. Freedom to take opportunities um, is also is also in, in that in that list. So I would say there are there there are a couple of places or three places that, that you could start Scott. And guess what? None of it costs any money. All of these things. Uh, about giving human beings um, decency and respect and room and all these things like clarity. You don't need to be a micromanager. Clarity is not the same as micromanaging. Making it clear what you want from your team is, is, good, is, is good business. It's when it goes over the top, it becomes micromanagement. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's important as well that we almost don't demonise every leader that sort of falls into the trap, I guess, because you can be sort of very well intentioned and want to prioritise the well-being of your employees, but kind of sort of drift into a toxic culture. And I suppose the an example of that is if you as a leader are sort of answering emails at sort of 11.30 at night and you're having everybody working from home, 
you're almost kind of implicitly setting that expectation on them as well. And when, you know, the line yeah. between work and home life is blurred by home working, I suppose that's one of the few negatives of it. Um, you can inadvertently yeah. start to let those expectations creep in and that can create that sort of toxic culture. And I suppose when you're in that situation where you are well-intentioned and you do you sort of just drift into it, it is easy to kind of take the positive steps to turn the situation around. Yeah, and you have to you have to call yourself out, right? Um, and you've done it. Like, you say, oh, do you know what? Oh, right, I shouldn't have done that. Because the, the, a lot of leadership teams have WhatsApp groups. Uh, le- legally, you shouldn't be using WhatsApp um, for comms anyway. There's, there's loads of other stuff which we won't get into that. Um, but most teams do use WhatsApp. That's the reality of it. Um, little WhatsApp management groups, all this kind of stuff. And the way I always look at it is that's where someone also goes to get their messages from their family or their best friends. So they may be in the, in the zone on a, on a Sunday relaxing and then you may think it's fine and say, oh, you don't have to reply. Um, but they're still going to see that message and there's a power dynamic where they're still going to feel obliged to reply, even if you say, um, and I, 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 have, I have fallen into that trap. We've all done it um, where you do it the odd time, but it's where you're doing it consistently. If you're doing that like every Saturday and Sunday, sending out messages, like, and that's fine. And I also think it's fine for people to work out their fine their, their own working hours. Like I know some people. Mm. I'm a big advocate for not working at the weekends, but I know some people find it good to get their week organised on a Sunday. So that's fine for you, but don't drag everyone else <laughs> into that way of working. But just most platforms now, especially email, like we we use Google Mail. There's a schedule send. So if I sometimes I write emails as a reminder to myself or my team of something that needs to be done, but I just schedule send it so it goes on Monday morning. Simple as that. So they don't have, it doesn't have to go into that person's inbox at that time. Yeah, and it's just little things like that, isn't it, that show that you know you're prioritising them and that you care and that you know you're not sort of almost imposing your own working practices on them if that isn't to be the uh, the expectation. And so these are sort of the little key things that are so 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 powerful when it comes to leadership and making sure that you know you're showing, you're indicating that well-being is very much um, at the forefront of your priorities. And uh, you've now got to do that, haven't you? Because as we talked about already, in what is um, sort of a very challenging environment around retention recruitment if you aren't doing this and you aren't taking these steps you're ultimately going to lose out so it is important that you do it and it's extra important now right for the reasons you outlined scott but it's also important when it's not because this is your competitive advantage if you're if you all things are equal with you and your competitor and you treat your employees better over time. You're going to outcompete your outcompete your competitors, and that there is a there's a study by Professor um, Alex Edmonds from London University. He took 28 years of American stock market data and showed that companies that treat their employees well outcompete their competitors in in share price by a minimum of 2.5 percent per year. And um, so you can take that 2.5 percent and times it by 28 to get the, the full compound number, but Right now, it's extra, extra emphasis on it. So even in times when it's not, um, and they're the good times, you should also be doing it then because that's your job as a leader. Your job as a leader is to find a way in your company, your organization, to differentiate, differentiate itself and be its competitors. And guess what? There's a really nice, brilliant, lovely way of doing that, which is treating your employees better than your competitors. 
food for thought for any entrepreneur really that is tuning into this or any business leader that might be established and it's important isn't it when you sort of get into that scale up phase as well isn't it we see a lot of scale ups struggling in this uh, country and ultimately they end up failing for one reason or another and I suppose employee engagement and employee well-being could very much be at the heart of that and so when you're building your business and sort of going up to you know that sort of over in excess of 100 um, employees as we talked about earlier it's key that you get this right. Yeah, and just to leave your listeners with a little um, bit, of neuro, bit of neuroscience, bit of visualization in their head. Employee engagement is what your employees' brains need to succeed at work. So that's things like clarity and direction. Um, your brain needs that for it to work out which way to go. Employee happiness is what your heart needs. So that's things like relationships. Um, and both are important. Traditionally, companies have looked after the brain part really well, which is what we call employee engagement, but they've ignored the employee happiness bit, which is the thing, your emotion and what the heart needs. So I'd encourage all your listeners to consider what your employee's brain needs, and that's, that's the stuff to do their job, the day-to-day stuff, but also consider what their heart needs um, and, and talk to your employees. Just ask them, like, what makes you tick? Um, what's important to you? Because although I've shared macro data, Day, what I can tell you is even if you have, have you got an identical twin, Scott? Um, I don't, unfortunately. I do have brothers, but not identical, no. Okay. Even if you had an identical twin with the same DNA or whatever, mm. you would still be different to them. And that is the same as every one of your employees. Every single one of them is different. I'm sharing macro data on, to help people where to start, but you need to be engaging them and finding out what makes them tick. Um, and building an environment that is going to let them be their best. And, and if they're their best, guess what? Your company's going to do, or your organisation is going to do really well. Exactly right. Great advice there to heed for anybody listening into this particular podcast. And uh, by the way, just for those listeners that are tuning in, if what we have discussed on today's programme does particularly resonate with you and you have a question for us or would like to leave a comment, you are able to do that. And that would be via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash contact hyphen us. Or if you are a business leader with your own perspective on this or any other topical matter or issue to bring directly to the discussion table, then you can also apply to be on our programme. And that would be via leaderscouncil.co.uk co.uk forward slash apply just to uh, to remind you there and uh, just before we do sort of wrap up um, actually uh, Matt um, that you've reminded me of something uh, that somebody actually came to me with on this uh, very show um, a few weeks back and it yeah. was uh, this it was this quote that's really stuck with me it's that relationships are the true currency of business and given what we've talked about today I think that rings true doesn't it I think it really really does ring true totally and and the next stage of that within relationships, one of the sub-drivers of that is collaboration. Mm. And if we link up your podcast here, you've got relationships, you've then got collaboration. The next thing that collaboration leads is to innovation. And there's not one business in the, or organization in the world that is not in the business of innovation. Whether you're a small cafe, a big technology company, or trying to put people on Mars, you are in the business of innovation, which means if you want to be innovating, you've got to start with relationships. Um, so yeah then link it up a couple of your podcasts together there yeah absolutely fantastic and uh, just before we uh, we do uh, we do finish up uh, Matt um, looking ahead to the uh, sort of the uh, the next 12 months as you focus on your work in what is sort of a difficult backdrop economically where do you see yourself by this time next year and do you have any big goals priorities milestones on the horizon um, the happiness index at the moment we don't 
we're we're a lot smaller than people think, right? Because our brand and our data and our research is known all around the world. So what we're doing at the moment is setting up strategic partnerships for people to sell our IP and technology around the world. So for me, um, it's I'm, I'm working with partners to, for them to sell our technology. So we sell it direct at the moment, um, which will take us so far. But we're not, um, we're not, and we don't plan to be venture capital backed. So we're privately backed, which means we have to think very creatively about how we grow. And so that, so lots more international expansion. But most, most importantly, above all of that, I, I want to be a good dad and I want to be focused on my family. And that's the starting point for me. If, I, if I'm happy there, I can be a good leader and hopefully the happiness index will go in the right direction and do well. But if the happiness index does well and I'm not a good dad, I'm a failure. So for me, assess my, my success and where I am in the year that starts with my children. Work-life balance, isn't it? Absolutely critical, I think it's fair to say. And uh, we could go into a whole new podcast on that, and I'm sure certainly there'll be an opportunity yeah. to perhaps... Uh, yeah. I'll tell you what, Scott, I'll leave you someone um, who I had on my podcast, Happiness mm-hmm. in Humans, um, said a really nice point on that, which was um, work-life harmony, which I loved. Mm-hmm. Because it's not, always, it's not always possible to balance everything out. There are times, there are sprints in an organisation or in a family... Um, big events happening so it, I just loved it because as soon as you think of it from a harmony perspective it feels more achievable because balance uh, it always feels like something's going to be off balance but if you can get the harmony right um, that, that, I think that's more achievable Yeah I suppose if you look at balance as almost equilibrium I think you're right in saying that that seems almost impossible doesn't it it's about sort of whatever you have to prioritize in the two that that is harmonized to sort of make you the best version of yourself and make you the most productive version of you yeah absolutely plenty to think on and uh, for anybody as well that uh, does want to of course check uh, more out about uh, sort of Matt's work and the happiness index uh, the happiness index.com I think could be the best port of call wouldn't it Matt for anybody looking to find yeah, out more w- about w- that. W- yeah, so it's www.thehappinessindex.com. And if you're interested, just book a demo with the team and, and have a look and, and, and see what you think. Yeah, I'd urge everybody to go and sort of check that out. Certainly if you feel, you know, sort of empowered or particularly that the issues that we talked about today do certainly resonate with you as a business leader. And uh, um, for anybody as well that is listening in, um, I do hope that you have thoroughly enjoyed the interview with uh, Matt Phelan from the uh, Happiness Index today. It's been an absolute pleasure for myself uh, welcoming you onto the show, Matt. And uh, like I say, I uh, really hope that we can uh, catch up at some point in the uh, the next year and just see how everything's going for you. And like I say, maybe we can delve into plenty more on uh, well-being tied into uh, to leadership because it is a fantastic subject. Thanks for having me on, Scott. It's been a pleasure. And uh, to everybody tuning in, I've been your host as always, Scott Challoner, on today's episode of the Leaders' Council podcast, talking all things employee engagement and well-being in leadership. And until next time, when we'll be back with a whole new perspective, please do take care all. And goodbye.